Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, community growth, and development as a player. I'm your co-host, Amon Kusro, and I'm joined by my other co-host, Jonathan Davis. Hey everybody. John, what's been going on lately? Uh, well, since our last episode, um, a lot's happened, I guess. Uh, new factions have come out, and I actually ran a eight-person event in my local area um, as a part of the Dallas Open GT, which is a larger 40K event. So that was pretty cool. So doing some community growth. I love it. Um, did you learn anything from it? Would you do something different next time? Um, it was definitely an interesting experience uh, running the event. Um, I hadn't, I've been doing a lot of the tracking data with BCP, but I'd never actually used it to run an event and I found it it's pretty good app and it worked well so that was fine um the guys at the Dallas Open um shout out to them they provided some prize support so I think we probably gave out like two hundred dollars of prize support to eight people <laughs> so everybody awesome. was really happy with that um, um who ended up winning um it was by a guy named Tim that's in our local area. Um, he was playing Curse Breakers, and I think he oh, was a little yeah. inspired by uh, the deck you ran because it was very similar to that. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, the one you ran at Adepticon. Cool uh, stuff. I think the main change he had was he had the Dark Darts Lightning Whip combo. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's dirty. And I think there was one point where he had that and... Uh, Tome of Offerings, and he was just just killing everything. It was just lightning, dark darts everywhere. Yeah, because it does two damage. He was in the middle of some Skaven or uh, <laughs> oh no skeleton. So I think he got like twenty five glory in one of the games. So. Oh man, <laughs> it was pretty incredible. That's crazy. Yeah, but it was a good oh. showing, and uh, a couple, maybe three or four, four guys actually drove out to um, from Louisiana where they normally play in Shreveport. So it was cool to meet them, and uh, it was just, just a great event. So I'll have to see if I can do more like that in the future and hopefully get um, – I, I think I'd love to get to about 16 players. Um, and there were a number of people that just couldn't make the date this time. So we'll see if we can't double it going forward. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I definitely think you know if you do it next year, which it sounds like you will, um, you know, if you just start advertising those dates six, seven months in advance, because um, that's one of the reasons why I couldn't go either, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, love. the other thing about it is that it was only um, it was it's it started in the evening. It started at about six o'clock, so we didn't have a ton of time to play. But because it did go so well, um, next time we're going to try to give it a, a full day, and you know that'll that'll make it easier for people to come out to. So. I think that'd be awesome. I think you could, you could be running a grand class soon, huh? <laughs> right in our Let's own backyard. see if we get that many people to show up to Texas. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, if you talk to Games Workshop and you say, hey, I want to run a grand clash, and we had this much experience, et cetera, and you can pre-sell some tickets, which yeah. I don't know when those tickets go on, dude. I'm telling you, you could definitely maybe get a grand clash going. Yeah, that'd be cool. Definitely something to think about. Definitely. Um, so we've also had the release of two new warbands recently. Uh, Thunderous yeah. Profiteers and Altharius Guardians. 
Uh, you, you know, I know you've been playing with the Guardians a little bit. You want to just briefly go into that? Yeah, sure. Um, I played, I think, four games, and they were actually all against the uh, Profiteers. So that's kind of an interesting matchup for the Guardians. Um, the way I was playing the Guardians, and I'm not really sure it's the best way to play them, um, is kind of like control um, and kind of like you'd play Curse Breakers, I guess, with or the way I would play Curse Breakers. I have like keep them guessing. I had Scorched Earth because they have two ways to do that. And I had Claim the Lamentary so that hopefully if I destroyed one of the objectives, I'd be able to hold the other one in my territory. Um, <clears throat> it worked okay, and, and I'll link the the deck in the show notes if anyone wants to look at it. But um, I think I need more damage because I really only had Sphere of Aqui or whatever, however you say that. Actually, actually, busted. It's a good one. Yeah, I had Withering in there as well. I guess so. Those those two together worked pretty well. But um, <clears throat> it's a lot like playing Far Striders or Curse Breakers but you're a little bit more squishy, although I guess it is nice having another fighter to work with. But yeah, I like them. I mean, I'm going to work on them some more going forward. Yeah, I like them too. I, I think your assessment is, is, is pretty spot on. Uh, they're a squishy variant of Far Striders or more, actually more accurately, Curse Breakers. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a big Curse Breaker fan, so I kind of really enjoyed playing um, the Guardians. Um I built a list quite similar to yours. I think I went a little bit more aggressive. Mm-hmm. So, um, you use Unmaking, Withering, Pangs of the Great Lack, and Akshi. So, four spells. Three of mm-hmm. them effectively reduce damage, right? And then, from then on out, it was like, like teetering up the board a little bit, watching your positioning, and then finding someone you want to take out and taking them out immediately. And Galligan, special shout out to my boy. <laughs> he's a monster. <laughs> yeah. He's really good. And uh He I, really I, is. I had a funny situation yesterday where I charged Thundrick and uh I was next to him, even though I have two range. I w- wanted to set up for support later because I wasn't gonna kill him because I only had two damage and he had three health left. And so he plays stand and shoot uh against me to shoot at me before I get my attack off. And he hits me, but I crit him back. <laughs> so I do one damage to him. And then my attack goes through and I kill him. See? And I was like, you shouldn't have played that. <laughs> he's 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 really good if you can roll crits, which I think I played yeah. I, I, so I played them in an event recently and I just I kept forgetting that like they do things off crits. Um but it's cool. I really liked it. Um, yeah, I was hoping I, those reactions would help me with keeping guessing. Because technically they should count right now, but because of the way the scurry FAQ says. But I found it's not really something I can rely on, so I'm not sure what I think about keeping guessing. Um, I was also running Tainted Vitality, which only works if they're already hurt. But because I'm also running Calculated Risk, because it's probably the best card in the game, um, I found that if somebody attacks uh, Galagion, um, which they usually do, and he'll usually take one or two damage, and then I run somebody else through a lethal hex, and then I taint vitality, I can get two inspired. Because I found it's pretty hard to get more than a boat. 
two or three of them inspired. The leader will usually inspire herself. But. Yeah, I find it really interesting you took Tainted Vitality. I I don't think I would run that. So it's really interesting. Did to you see have that healing was... potion instead, or? Yeah, I took I took healing potion and healing mm -hmm. amphora, which is like pretty much healing amphora is, is like a faction card that reads. The way I would read it is inspire Galagan or inspire someone next to Galagan. So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I actually think potion. that that is probably the better way to go. Um, I just wanted to try it, and I did have some games where it worked out where I would end up with the leader and two of them inspired and that was usually pretty good um off of just two cards or because i also had the uh card that lets her destroy the objectives leech power that's such a good card i'm finally yeah. validated on scorcher by the way i just want to point that out <laughs> you were be <laughs> I, you were before the curve <laughs> before the times on that one. i was yeah i uh was ahead of the curve if you will that's yeah, funny. That's what, um, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I, I will say that I find Anslane to be very unremarkable. I mean, like she she's good for what she does, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. but I just she never once got inspired. And I played three games back to back with her or with that warband, so Right. Did you play any of the low health warbands? So yeah, my first game I played Gets and I just prioritized the squigs and I set up my board in which like, if Snark did come at me, he would probably hit a wall. Yeah. And uh, and then there was, like, this choke point. I forget the name of the board, but it's the one where, like, there's two blocked walls, if you will. Shattered Tower, I think, is the name. And you have, there's a small hex in the middle that's, like, a little pathway. So I just, you know, put mm -hmm. Galligan there, and I was like, come at me, bro. And <laughs> they surely tried. But my boy Galligan, he said, nobody's entering my glaive, or glade, excuse me, and he just kind of smacked him down, which is really cool. Uh, I wish I got to try warding stance on him, which is like, you get one more defense. Mm -hmm. But the one time I drew that in all three games, I ended up tossing that hand because, as usual, I drew four objectives, or upgrades, excuse me, with ready for action. <laughs> cla cl uh, cl your classic starting hand. Yeah. Classic starting <laughs> hand. And then I tossed that hand, and I drew four more upgrades with trap. And I was like, this is awesome. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I like yeah, them. I mean, I, I think they're I, good. I agree that I think she's the worst of the bunch. I guess I'm hoping there'll be a situation where, like, I've done two damage to, like, a couple, like, two Magors or something, and then I have a Glory Seeker and Healing Potion in my hand, and I'll inspire her and then get a double kill, you know? So I, I think it might happen someday. But I think that's the dream. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, or you should always follow kill. your dreams. For sure. <laughs> you should also well, realize when they're just pure fantasy. So The other nice uh, thing about it, though, is that all of those upgrades that I would take uh, for her, like Glory Seeker and uh, maybe Archer's Focus, or um, those will all work on the leader as well, Nathari. So there's actually some pretty good synergy there between them where you can kind of use the upgrades that way. So. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think most certainly it works on both of them. But if you have the option, you're going on Ilthari every single time, I think. so. Yeah, I think so, unless you're trying to get that double kill. But because you have to spend resources to inspire them, I'm, it's pretty rare that that happens. It's been my experience with her. I like the uh, Scathiel okay, but I think because of the way I was running Tainted Vitality instead of Healing Potion... 
it was hard for me to inspire him before I went in. And I think that's, I think you really need to do that. I think you have to get him inspired first and then go in with the three dice and cleave. It's really interesting you say that. Cause like, I, I definitely thought he was going to be, uh, I guess people like to use this term dangle, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I didn't really think he was going to be all that. I definitely think like the, the, your, the backbone of your warband is Althari and Galligan, but I, I was pleasantly surprised with him. Scathale during the event, um, I played Profiteers back-to-back in the second mm. and third round. And in the third game, he was just like, he was in it to win it, man. Like, he can he can really get some damage done with those crits. And I put sudden growth on him. I gave him constant growth. Mm-hmm. And I even healed him up so he could inspire. And and he gets pretty scary. I think, I think the biggest challenge with the Warband is, you know, obviously their inspire mechanic. But if, if there's a way in which, you know, eventually someone figures it out or, or we do or the community, like quick inspire mechanics, like maybe even Regal Visions, because, I mean, he's on the card, might be good to use it um, <laughs> on the artwork. I yeah. think I think you can really get really – you can be really lethal with this Warband. I think they have the potential. I think no one's figured it out, an optimal list yet. I think they can be quite the contender. Yeah, and I actually <laughs> think that – one of the cool things about them is I think there are multiple ways to play them. I think I was skewed a little bit closer to the control side, but I think you can also go more aggressive. Um, and probably somewhere in the middle is probably ideal. Yeah. What about Profiteers? Um, what do you think about those? Well, I haven't actually played them yet because I was playing against them, but um, they seem really good. I think they seem like top tier probably. Um, I imagine they have a good matchup into Curse Breakers and probably Molog because of the range and because of the knockback. So I, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of them. Yeah, number one, they look super cool. Um, oh, yeah. Number two, at least over here in the United States, we love guns, so they got guns. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, also, I think you're right. Like the meta is generally a whole bunch of curse breakers and Molog's, maybe mm-hmm. a couple objective warbands sprinkled in the mix, and then you got Magors as well, right? With a healthy mix of them. And no matter what warband you play against, aside from objectives, so if you look at the top three most populous warbands, curse breakers, Molog, and Magors, two of them are naturally the aggressors at all times. But I think where the curse breakers shine is that you don't necessarily have to be the aggressor, at least initially in the game. Mm-hmm. But with the Profiteers, you're almost always going to be the defender against those three warbands. And I think that's really cool because it forces the Curse Breaker player to come to you. And if they don't, okay, cool, they score Harness the Storm and they score Magical Supremacy. But like, what else are you going to score? you got to come and fight me. And by the time you get to me, I will have done enough damage to where you're within one or two shot range moving forward... And you're instantly like, yeah, cool, you'll kill Garrett. You might get Kazgon. But Iron mm-hmm. Hell, Lund, and Bjorn, Bjorgen, you're just going to, you know, with Cleave on two of them doing two damage, it's it's disgusting. Like, I played a Curse Breakers player, and I essentially was like, kept drawing cards until he, like, finally realized I'm not moving. And then he <laughs> came to me. And yeah. then I just literally did what dwarves do best, and I blasted him off the table. And it's <laughs> it, it was really exciting to see 
like someone kind of like take down curse breakers like that. It was also very scary as someone who loves playing curse breakers to see that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think they're a really good warband, man. I think they can be like if they, I don't really believe in tier lists, but if you sure. were to tier tier warband, I think they'd be one of the higher tier. Yeah, and I mean they're even though they are slow with only two movement on most of them, their range makes it so they're not actually that slow. They're basically they have five range on a lot of guys. Even though you think they kind of have low health, like there's five of them and they have the same health pools as the Reavers do. Once they're inspired, going up to five on the leader and then four on the next two, Deadeye and Kazgan, that's incredible. That's like a, almost like a Stormcast or a Magor's uh, warband in your face, hitting you with cleave and rolling on hammers. And then the other two guys going up to three, like I don't know if it's the, it's definitely the highest. Uh, health pool for a five-man warband, I think. Like, they're oh, surprisingly yeah. hard to chew through, is what I found. I think they might have the highest health pool total once inspired. I think more than even Molog and the Curse Breakers. And yeah, Goblins might. Oh, goblins you're right. Yeah, Goblins it, might. But I think if you compare it to similar-sized warbands, like, they're actually really beefy. Especially the when Kazgan and Deadeye get to four, it's just like, you really have to work to take them down. And then the way that they can just score score immediately objectives and get inspired. I, I had a guy go on guard and then charge me with uh, Iron Hail. And he rolled a crit. And so he got uh, get the hints and change of tactics and, headshot. and headshot. Yeah, all in one turn. And then suddenly that's like three dudes inspired. And like, that's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, and imagine if you you know you you have calculated risk like, yeah. before that you like oh, yeah. charge via calculated risk you score calculated risk you draw into headshot you hit that crit you score headshot you draw into finish them or the bigger they are and then you do everything that you just said and that's five yeah. glory right there it's crazy it's scary yeah I think they're pretty good at getting uh, cover ground as well and that's actually a card I'm not usually a giant fan of but. I think you want spectral wings anyway, just because they are kind of slow. If you can get the flying guy or Fainway crystal, um, this flying guy has an upgrade to get two. I'm gonna try that one. Uh, augmented buoyancy, I think. Yeah, augmented buoyancy. I also have think some great you can actually do long strider with them pretty effectively too, because of seek the sky vessel. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely uh, right. Yeah. I didn't try it. And ready I... for action, so that's two ways to do it. Yeah. If you need to. If you really need to get out of jail. It's an interesting one. Yeah, so, that is I definitely think they're, the utility is great. I definitely think that as many shooty warbands or gunline armies and even the bigger games like Age of Sigmar and 40k, you need they do suffer from an accuracy issue. I think, you know, standard two smash across the board is good, um, yeah. but it kind of gets dicey once enemy fighters start inspiring and their defense stats get better. I think Iron Hail is insane. Um, four fury is ridiculous, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. Um, so obviously, you know, a warband needs to have its strengths and its weaknesses. But I think this warband's really good, and I think Deathly Fortitude and Sudden Growth might have a place here because they don't really need to move towards the end of the game. Mm. And imagine if you get both on Bjergen. He's at nine wounds. <laughs> they also have. Um, I thought it was interesting. They also have a faction version of Potion of Constitution, the Mag Malt Draw, and that could be useful to um, put on guys before they're inspired maybe to avoid glory seeker but i'm not sure again super american 
beer. <laughs> Get drunk. There. Don't feel the pain. So you're saying this is America's war band? I think this is America's <laughs> war band. Um, Alright. <laughs> could be right. I, I really like them. They also love money, which again, super American. <laughs> They're profiteers, alright? I'm just saying, like, I might yeah. I might paint these as like US flag dwarves. Or Dwarden, excuse me. I can't wait for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and like you said at the beginning, uh, I was blown away by the models on both of these war bands. The Sylvaneth models are incredible. Like, I didn't even think they could make models that, like, spindly. And then these guys just look great. They look exactly like you'd want the Sky Dwarves to. They're fantastic. I'm really glad they didn't do the go with the Dryad look for the Sylvaneth. Very happy. It would have been cool to see some new Dryad models, I think. I love Tree of Revenants. I love the aesthetic of them. If they weren't so expensive points-wise in Age of Sigmar, I'd probably have an army of Sylvaneth. I love elves. but it's, <laughs> it's And it's 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 like really cool that they're there, but like I've just been so impressed with these these Karadran overlords where it's just, they've almost outshined my, my love for elves. It's, wow. it's really cool. Yeah, and the, the new models that, uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but the new models for Age of Sigmar for the Sylvaneth are incredible as well. Dude, that Arc Revenant looks sick. Yeah. Yeah. They're, the models just get better and better. It's They continue to blow me away. Yeah, and what's crazy is they're using, like, like imagine the lead time on these things, you know? Like, I heard Shadow Spear, like, the models were designed five years ago before its release. So imagine, uh-huh. imagine how long ago they've designed some of these kits and imagine what it's going to look like in five years. Yeah, that's, I'm sure it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I mean they're really taking anyway. best miniatures company in the world to a whole other level, and it's really exciting. As a fan, first and foremost, it's it's really cool. Like it rocks my nerd socks. <laughs> cool. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before our main topic? No, the only thing I'd like to mention is that unfortunately I will not be part of our significantly <laughs> overdue deck building conversation. Um, we had planned to, uh, I guess, record the episode. And then my girlfriend surprises me with Avengers Endgame tickets. So yeah. no spoilers here. We are a spoiler-free show. But I would <laughs> like to say that you should definitely go watch it because it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, was, I definitely enjoyed it as well. I saw it. Cool. But yeah, so for our next uh, segment, it's going to be an interview with Michael Carlin, who is the uh, main blogger from the Steel City blog and a competitive player in the U.K., and uh, what we talk about is competitive deck building for large events. Fun fact, Steel City is actually a nickname for Sheffield. Sheffield. Uh, he taught me that the other day, which I thought was very cool. But enjoy. Cool. All right, we're back. And this is Jonathan, and I have with me Michael Carlin with, from the Steel City Underworlds blog and competitive player in the UK. Hey, Michael. Hi, Jonathan. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and just tell us a little bit about your gaming history and what you like about Underworlds. Cool. So uh, my general gaming history, actually mostly a uh, PC gamer. I uh, don't really come from the hobby side of stuff at all. I um, played a lot of League of Legends, still playing it today. Um, got to kind of the top of amateur level and was in a team. Technically earned some money off it, but tiny, tiny amounts. I have played wow. Magic the Gathering to a, like, not really good level. I kind of dabbled with it a bit. It was much more casual kind of kitchen tabletop stuff. There's a card game called Eternal, which I got into a bit, and I kind of kind of hit top 1,000 players on there, but it's a small community, so that's not, like, 
too much of a big deal. I've always kind of been aware of Games Workshop's products and I've had friends who've played them. I think I tried to play 40k a bit back in uh, fourth edition, um, but I'm really not into kind of the hobby side of it. I, I People might be aware I'm rubbish at painting and assembling models. Um, and that kind of put me off playing it. So uh, when I saw Warhammer Underworlds come out, or should I say Sage Bar? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think of, Underworlds is, is a safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it perked my interest a lot, and I just started playing a couple of games of it, and it, it sold itself very quickly to me. Like, it's not just, like, the fact that it's not kind of as much of a hobby thing, although that's a factor, but having, like, discrete hexes for movement and having cards, so the deck building part of me loves it. Um, I think the game is... In my opinion, it's the best game Games Workshop have done, and um, I, I utterly love it. I've been playing it a lot for what? Ooh, it's not actually been that long. It's been out. I've probably played it for about a year and a half now. Yeah, I definitely think that it's the best game that they've made, and I'm sometimes surprised by just how quickly it's like taken over a part of my life. <laughs> yeah, like, I started in September, and it's like this is. I, I love this game. Like, it's all I want to do most of the time. Yeah, it is scary when like you find yourself in your idle time just making random <laughs> decks, and you're like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, what? Um, I guess tell us a little a bit about your Underworlds history. Like, what kind of success have you had in the past, and what kind of things are you looking forward to in the future? So, arguably, the best success I had was being part of the the, the people who helped make Catherine Relics decks a thing. I'm not sure if you'd call that success. Um, <laughs> we So, we helped get cards. They weren't banned, but adjusted the rules of in the game with the errata. Um, so, yeah, me and a group of uh, friends, we, we developed the Catherine Relic deck going into the second Warhammer World Grand Clash last year. Um, but it is fair to say someone else came up with the idea, out independent of us, a guy called Sandro. Um, and he met one of our players in the final, and his deck was better text for the mirror. Uh, he had he had Eternals, and you know, like um, there's a Steelheart card for all your fighters being alive at the end. He had both of them, so he just made more glory. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that happened. We 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 affected this game in that way. Uh, personally, I I do okay. I've got a lot of trophies from local tournaments. I uh, I'm at 13 at the moment as of yesterday. Um, and I usually do quite highly at the Grand Clashes, but never quite get to a final or win them. Um, probably like the best placing I've been in was top four in the UK team tournament. I did really well at Blood and Glory, but I got play- you know the tiebreakers are really interesting in our system. So uh, Blood and yeah. Glory, yeah, I I um, only lost to the guy who came second, and one of the players I beat came third, and I got placed ninth. Um, <laughs> which, how, how large was that event? Um, forty to fifty, so big, but not re- you know not ridiculous big. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that um, and that's what five rounds, four rounds. Uh, oh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was four rounds of a cut to top two. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the standard format. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of the time we focus on you know going undefeated, but when you really think about it, there's only going to be a few people that do that and <laughs> one loss is still still a very solid showing but i would say fingers yeah. crossed to do better i'm like currently super focused on trying to do good at the upcoming grand classes we've got in the uk next month yeah yeah and that's something that we want to talk about the um your local scene is just very competitive right because you have a lot of good players over there in the UK. yeah i mean so especially up north like 
John kind of rules the roost down in the south in London. Um, but up north, we have a lot. We have a lot. I mean, like Bryce. So most of the tournaments I go to, Bryce or Jamie are there, both Grand Clash winners. Bryce, I mean, he can make a reasonable case for right now he's the best player in the game because he won that stupidly big tournament, the 170 player one. Yeah. In yeah, just in Sheffield, we've got Martin who won. I think it was a 40 or 50 player Grand Clash last year. And we've got my nemesis Tom, who writes with me. Who he's not won any of the big tournaments, but he's terrifying. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely read some of his articles, and I think that John. And I guess when we say John, we're talking about John Reese. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had a game with Tom in one of his articles recently, and it seemed like that was a tough one. Oh yeah, um, that was oh, so. That was a tournament. We travelled a little bit south for that. I think it was like an hour and a half in the car, and. Um, Tom was still trying to win with Godsworn. He's desperately trying to win with Godsworn so he can write an article on him. It kind of feels like you know you have to get a trophy with something to be able to say you're a bit of an authority on the subject. And um, John was practicing his full Grand Clash deck um, to try and get it ready for these big tournaments. So Tom was playing Godsworn Hunt and John was playing Fast Riders. Yeah, it was very close and Tom won because in the last activation of turn three of the final game, he moved a model onto an objective token. That was the level of closeness it was. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That sounds sounds like a good good game and really just a very competitive scene. So it must be very difficult to <laughs> do well, but it probably really helps you like hone your skills, you know? Yeah. No, it does a lot. I mean, uh, so right now, I don't know, people who read my blog might have got hints or something, but I'm trying to myself practice for the big grand clashes, and I've got a secret deck that people who've been at tournaments <laughs> will have seen, but... Yeah, last time I made a different call. Uh, so the last Grand Clash, the big one that Bryce won, I basically, me and Tom just spent stupid amounts of time practicing against each other. But we realized that we kind of messed each other up for the tournament. We put each other off our main decks because we figured out how to beat them so well. And I ended up taking Thorns of the Briar Queen as a last minute adaptation uh, without enough practice. And he was going to take Gits, but he ended up taking Thines. Um, and yeah, it wasn't so good. So now... I've deliberately not practicing as much against him and practicing against just lots of opponents. Oh, yeah, that's a good uh, distinction. So when you do know that you have a big event coming up and you're thinking about what faction to take, what do you think about and what does a faction need to have for you to consider them? So it does depend a bit on um, kind of what cards are out at the moment and what you think is good. So what I have been doing before I kind of been back on my serious track for this i was trying to do the winning with all the different warbands thing that a few of us are doing i think your your guy aman's doing it as well isn't he yeah yeah i think i think a lot of people are um to me it's a fun sort of practice goal Mm. um because i mean obviously when you go to the large event you know if you're trying to if you still haven't won with eyes of the nine then (laughs) that may not be (laughs) the glass that you want to win with them but um I, I actually like the goal of getting them all because it makes me play them all. Yep. I've already won personally with the ones I consider to be the easy ones. <laughs> the, the That's the way to do it. And the thorns and yep. the gits and Moloch. But now I get to play. Like I, I feel like if I was just playing them, I would probably get bored of them. Hmm. And playing the other more difficult factions is going to make me a better player. No, absolutely. 100%. So not only do you kind of learn what makes a faction tick you can kind of know how to attack it like right. when you've played reavers for instance you learn that sake is the threat not garrick um he's the one you need to kill early if you can pick between the two yeah especially at the beginning yeah and um, then i feel like also if i play 
a bunch of Reavers or a bunch of Skaven or something, then when I do end up facing them, I'm not going to be surprised. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because sometimes I think you forget about those factions, and then when you face them, you are surprised, and that can be that can be the game, and that can be the event. Yeah. But, um, Eyes of the Nine can actually do okay if people just haven't played versus them. If you don't know that you shouldn't be killing the Blue Horror, then they'll <laughs> resummon it, and they'll get martyred off it, and they'll resummon it and get summoner, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, so um, I definitely think that it's a good idea to have a wide knowledge of the all the factions. But to me, when I if I was going to consider going to a large event, and I actually do plan to go to Nova, and I think we're considering doing the ATC events in the U.S. Oh, the ATC looks amazing. Yeah, I think it looks like a lot of fun. Um, I think for those, I would probably bring out the factions that I'm the most comfortable with and that I feel like have the most chance to win. 100%. So basically, playing all the breadth of factions while I'm doing it, in the back of my head, I'm trying to kind of think, are any of these actually properly viable? You know, if you if, if you do well with them, you get glass quickly. You don't kind of necessarily get to refine your strategies a lot. But if you find, like, you've built a deck for something in a week and you smash good opponents, you might be like, hmm, maybe I'll come back to this for a big tournament. So I kind of use that as a bit of a way to scout out what I think might be powerful. Um, and also the usual of just what you see other people playing that is obviously strong and obviously winning. Um, so I kind of I kind of have a few different ideas floating in my head for a big tournament. And what I do, I just put together a few different decks and try them out, see which one looks like it's the most kind of uh, promising. And then, then I make a call usually about three weeks, maybe four weeks before, and just go in, like, this is the one I'm doing no matter what. And stick with it. Well, at least that's what I'm going to do now. Last time I changed last minute, which is not what you should do. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, clearly, you've, you've discovered that that doesn't work. <laughs> no. No, it's, well, it's like Thorns yeah. and Brightwing are obviously strong. Like They are obviously a very good faction. They can certainly mm-hmm. win big events, but like a week of practice with them isn't enough. Like, I actually think, so for myself, I need to kind of drill stuff into me because I'm probably not as naturally good a player as some of the other players like Jay and John. Um, but if I if I just played enough games and I know all the situations that come up, I can kind of just autopilot it almost. Interesting. So that's kind of how yeah. I compensate for the uh, slight bit of score difference. Slight. They're definitely better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all trying to get better, so <laughs> that's sort of the point of the, these kind of conversations. Hey, um, I've 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 only played Jay once and I've beaten him, so you know. And it <laughs> definitely wasn't because he was playing support regard and I was playing fast ride. It was entirely skill based. <laughs> and you don't need to play him again because that'll ruin yep. the. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, that's it. Hundred percent win record. Yeah. <laughs> so right now, I think if I was going to go to a large event, the factions that I would consider are probably Molog, Cursebreakers, mm-hmm. Gits, Thorns, yep. Gores, yeah, and then. Possibly the two new ones that just yep. came out actually yesterday or yep. at the time of this recording, um, the Sylvaneth and the Profiteers. Yep. yep. Would you I, I think say there are really any other window. factions to consider at a high level of competitiveness if the goal was to win the event? Or I think you've made a really good set of factions there that are pretty much the best factions right now. Um Basically, I think, especially with the new expansions, so before the new expansions, you could make a good case for Cursebreakers were the best, but they mm-hmm. were sitting at the top of the pile, but not by a massive amount. It was probably a couple of percent or something like that. 
the new expansions have just given them lots more tools. There's more spells, like the Sphere of... Oh, God, I'm going to pronounce this horribly. Sphere of Akshi, um, which is amazing. There's um, that two-glory objective for casting four spells in a turn, which is very trivial for them. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, all the spell stuff that come out helps Curse Breakers more than any other faction with Wizards, because they do it better. Um, well, power also. Oh, yeah, well, of power, yeah. Yeah. Um, so some people are running archers focus. Yeah. And I feel like well, the power is just better. <laughs> yeah. No, I hundred percent agree. Although of course you can even run both. Yep. Yeah. You could definitely um, both. <laughs> so I, th- my call on the kind of the top meta for the, you know, the next big tournaments is going to be curse breakers or something that can kill curse breakers quickly. Um, so Molog can kill curse breakers quickly. Um, uh, he's very good at that. Fiend also pretty good, especially um, mm-hmm. especially if they get to win boards because that new board is insane for their deployment. Um, I think uh, the elves maybe the tree elves. I'm not sure what they are in law, but they've got such a kind of quick um, threat range that they can they can kill stuff very fast. Um, what was the other one you said? Uh, you said thorns, didn't you? And gits, thorns and gits. Yeah. Hmm. I. They've been strong for a long time in season, in season two, and they can score a lot of glory. I know cover ground change helped Thorns, although calculated risk might be painful for Thorns now because they can't get that. Um, yeah, that's I true. Think, I think Thorns and Gits... Hmm, it kind of depends on what Curse Breaker decks we see if they'll do good enough, because... If if we see people doing the crazy kind of Shard Gale, Encroaching Shadow, Sphere of Axie, you know, just damage from across the board decks, then mm-hmm. I think they will suffer heavily. But but if that kind of can't be built reliably enough, then they'll probably be fine and they'll probably be at the top as well. Yeah, that is a good uh, point that I think if Shard Guild becomes more popular with the Guardians and the Profiteers, and I, I have seen people put it in both of those mm. uh, because of the amount of one damage. Although with the Profiteers, I feel like if you have Shard Gale and they have Shard Gale, you might be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you lost two of your fighters straight away. That's not yeah. good. Yeah, unless you inspire them, I guess. Yeah, it's it's they're a really interesting design because it's like if you inspire your weak fighters, then they don't fall over instantly, but you've not inspired your good fighters. So, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say that probably the only um, other faction I would think about adding to the list, I just haven't had enough experience with yet, would be far striders hmm. um i feel like maybe they i feel like they got about four or five cards that they would actually want to take in the new set um, i i think far striders basically are actually possibly like in the top two or three except for the fact that molog exists molog is like their wall um because they're low damage and they all get one shot by him when he's inspired um yeah. without without him existing they'd be right up at the top as it is, you could you could just basically hope to not hit a Molog at the tournament, which is reasonable. You know, it, it happens. You, know, you all take no matter what you pick, you're taking a risk that some matchups won't be good for you. Um, but yeah, no, they've certainly got potential. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when um, Amon went to Adepticon, he checked up for Molog and then didn't face him. And yeah, so it's it's certainly possible you wouldn't have it happen. Um, when I've been collecting the data for the different events on my blog. Um, I show about 12% of players have <laughs> played Moloch. Yeah. So there, there's still 
that, you know, that's about a 12% chance each each round that you would uh, you'd face him. So I feel like he doesn't actually do well at the really big tournaments. I feel like the problem he has, so he's definitely very good. There's no question, but he doesn't work if he gets bad luck. Like right. you, you can't grind out a game with him like you can um, curse breakers or even fiends with 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 a couple of rolls missing. Because if you miss with Molog, what do you do? Like he's he's how you score everything. Whereas if same with Gore misses, it's painful. But then Riptooth goes in. Yeah, um, and if he dies, it's over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. You've got a big target on your back, and good players do know how to cut. Oh God, yeah, I, I, I have I have seen some. I uh, I saw a play yesterday. Um, I saw so I think right. Riptooth hit a Molog for two damage, pushed him into a lethal hex for another damage, and then he it was something like there was a shard gale, and then there was no there was a lethal ward before that. Then there was a shard gale. Then there was an encroaching shadow, and then he hid and pathed someone in and did reflected injury for the last point of damage. And I was like, oh, what? No. <laughs> so you've hit for two damage and then used that to take out Molog. Okay. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. I feel like um, a lot of people have started bringing back like Lethal Strike and stuff like that too, and Frozen in Time and Rebound. Mm. And there's everyone just saw Molog and was like, I'm going to tool up for this guy. <laughs> so, yeah. When you actually go to a large event and everybody has all of those tools, like you have to start thinking about like, if I'm playing Molog and everybody has Rebound and this is a five round tournament, best of yeah. three, I'm probably yeah. going to get rebounded like two or three times in the mm-hmm. event. Yeah, and can I survive? Because if I get rebounded, I'm probably dead because next turn they just come in and kill me. Yeah, yeah. So interestingly, although I do think Molog is strong on a game-to-game basis, he doesn't really do that. He doesn't get that far in mm. a lot of events um, is what it seems like. Although he I, still has a, a pretty good uh, a pretty good record. Yeah, I... He's good, but I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if he ever wins a big tournament. I have a suspicion he won't. Yeah, I think he won one in um, Russia, ah. St. Petersburg. I think Amalog won that one. And that was, I think, 30. That's, 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 that's a pretty decent that's size. a pretty one. good size, yeah. But uh, well, most of I'm the wrong. other Amalogs at that event did not do very well at all. It was ah. pretty average, but... Um, in in the thirteen hundred game, games or so that I've calculated, they he does have the second highest win rate overall. Oh, four percent. That's some good data. Your your data is ridiculous. Thirteen hundred games you've got now. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I go on there every week and add it up. <laughs> so, curse breakers are a little bit above that at fifty five. That so, makes sense. Yeah. But, um, I was actually surprised by how um, how even it all is. Um, yeah. Everybody's sitting right at about. 40 to 50, and the only yeah. one that's below that is Orcs at 36. I think, honestly, when we talk about like top factions and stuff in Warhammer Underworlds, you have to make sure people know that there's not actually that much difference. Like You are talking about a couple of percent. You know, It's not, it's not as big as people... And if, you've, if you have found a way to play something that other people don't know, then that could, that could easily completely offset those small differences. Yeah, I agree, because... If someone else isn't prepared for something mm. and that loses them the game, then like it doesn't matter if like, they learned maybe, but it doesn't matter because you won and 
you're on to the next round. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot to be said for defying people's expectations. I think I have seen the occasional really good orc player who just doesn't play that aggressively. They kind of do a weird mixed deck. I've seen people play like Supremacy or Keys on orcs, and like it, you think, how is this working? But then you know, an orc went undefeated at the uh, at that big 170 person tournament. So there's 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 something there. There's something you can do. Yeah, I played against a like a Reaver player one time, and he had supremacy, and I it just never even entered into my mind that it would be in there. And then when he mm. scored it, I was like, oh, I think I just lost the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I can adapt to this. Oh no, I've lost. I can't adapt. Like, yeah. Yeah, that is it's funny. Um, <clears throat> so for the sake of this conversation, and because they've just came out, um, the Uthari's Guardians, um, you sent me a deck for those mm -hmm. that you think would be a good starting point for what you might consider to bring to a large event. Um, do yeah. you want to go over that deck? Yeah, sure. So base the general feeling for this deck. Uh, so I used to play fast roads back in the day mm -hmm. and I kind of see a lot of the good from the fast riders in these, but maybe tuned up a little bit. Um, I like the idea of being able to combo any of your ranged attacks into fully killing a model, even a four health model, although you kind of want all the cards to align for that. So this this deck, um, are you going to put it in the show notes at all? Yeah, we'll be sure to put it in the show notes. Good. Um, uh, so You don't have to talk about every card, but if you just want to talk about the... I mean, if you just want to run through it real quick, and then we'll talk about the interesting Oh, ones. sure. So I'll run through it quick. So objectives, we've got change of tactics, very easy to score with your ridiculous threat range. Like, you just go on guard at any point, and if they can stop you charging, then that's impressive. Uh, Master of War, easiest, like, objective that relies on other objectives ever. Uh, Master Stroke, because it fits uh, with how I've built the power deck. More on that in a minute. Superior Tactician is the finisher. Um, it's another restricted slot, which is painful, but it's a really solid finisher. Shining Example, because I've put specific cards in to inspire. Uh, Lithe Spirits. Oh, I'm trying to remember what that one does now. Is that the one with its the second or subsequent reaction? Yes. And I've definitely built a lot of reactions into this deck. And it's a score immediately. So I think Lithe Spirits should pretty much be in every single um deck for these guys um especially because of their inherent reactions on the cards strike swiftly i'm not 100 percent sure this would stay and i'd have to practice with it because <laughs> yeah it's it's when you a friendly fighter takes an enemy fighter out of a charge action so you have to do enough damage with the charge to kill them so like trap or pit trap i don't think score this um because it's then the ploy card doing it not the um not the fighter correct so I'd this is in there as like a, I'd test it out and if it's not working it'd probably come out. Uh, calculated risk is in every single deck I build from now on. Um, enough said. Um, keep them guessing because all of their reactions on the, their fighters count for keep them guessing as an action on a fighter card because of that mad scurry ruling in the um, in the FAQ. So yeah, seems like a solid score. Scorched Earth. Um, I've got two triggers for Scorched Earth, which I'll go over later, and I've got Bag of Tricks, so I feel like I've got enough wet triggers for it. And like objectives that you can score for doing, like that your opponent can't interfere with or insane, especially a, a score immediately one. Solid Gains is kind of like a weaker master, uh, master of War. It's not quite as good, but it's still nice and strong start because I think I'm going to be able to pick that I kill the first. Not necessarily all the time, um, but eh, should should be good. Um, then Gambit's Healing Potion, which is my Inspire any of my fighters. So it's basically in Inspiration Strikes, but it could also potentially heal someone. Last Chance is my Save the Two People with Bows. 
And it's annoying that they don't all have dodge, because then last chance would be more versatile, but you've got to go with two shields to start with, so I'm not complaining. Uh, ready for action, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to win. Um, Shard Gale. Um, this is the risky one, but it's a good way of putting lots of damage onto the opponent. Trap. More damage from your attack. Uh, Leech Power. This is the first of the triggers for uh, Scorched Earth, and it's another way to inspire. Unfortunately, it only inspires the leader, but uh, Absos are making the second trigger for Scorched Earth, and it's also fantastic at um, destroying objective play. Um, like It's absolutely mind-bogglingly horrible for Thorns or Gits if they're trying to score stuff like Supremacy. Um, Encroaching yeah. Shadow. Especially if they're playing the uh, hold objectives like 1 and 4 or something like oh, that. God. You just destroy number four <laughs> yeah 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 it's 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 yeah. the, the most depressing thing for like a whole objective player is if they've managed to carefully align everything and you know they know that you're going to start killing them in a couple of turns but you're about you're going to score supremacy and like our only way out and then something else off it and then what they do in the final power step of the turn is the abyssos are making one of the objective tokens you're on top of and it's like well that's that's it that's the game i can't win from this because yeah, I can't even get across the map. That one. Sorry. So, um, so then after that, it's Encroaching Shadow. It's another way of putting damage on things, which is kind of, you might be guessing the theme of this. Uh, Pit Trap goes with Trap. More damage from uh, ranged attacks. And Sphere of Akshi, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, again, more ping damage. For slightly sad, it means that there's three cards that rely on the leader. Leech Power, Abyssos, and Making a Sphere. Um, but I've got last chance, hopefully a way to save the leader. I think a lot of how this deck works is going to be about keeping my leader safe and trying not to let them assassinate her. Um, upgrades. I've put a total offense in. It's very much a question mark. I'm not sure if it's good enough. I like it with ranged attacks, but if you're charging, obviously it's useless. So we'll see how it does. Vampiric weapon is another way to inspire people. Unfortunately, you inspire after you've made the attack. So again, I want to try playtesting with it to see if that's worth it. Archer's Focus, I'm almost certain, will just stay in the deck. Um, Bag of Tricks is in a lot of my decks now, and this is a four-fighter warband, and I think you can probably spare an activation a turn to search for stuff. Uh, Challenge Seeker, this is a little bit more sketchy, because you've got two models on three health, and two on four. You probably have enough targets for this. It's, prob it's probably going to come up enough. Again, needs testing, but as long as you have a four health thing that you can be shooting at, you're it's, this is going to be worth it. Fameway Crystal, in pretty much every deck. It's just so versatile. Glory Seeker, extra damage, and it works at range. Lovely. Uh, Potion of Rage, I'm, I'm trying to attack people, so that's in the deck. Uh, Term of Offerings, I'm hoping to kill people, so this should always be in my deck. Uh, and Well of Power, uh, because it works not just for casting spells, but also for the spell attack action that your leader has. So I suppose that's another one that depends on my leader. So my biggest worry about this deck is that someone just assassinates my leader turn one, because not only is one of my key fighters gone, but a lot of my cards fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems like the, the Warband in general is a little bit leader-focused mm. um, because they are so good at magic, and that's kind of a, I guess, a quality of magic in general is mm. that usually you there is a focus on the leader. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why curse breakers are the best because yes you can kill storm sign yes it does hurt them but they can they can still cast spells and they're probably if they've built them got ways to just auto cast them anyway with you know the turning uh, your magic dice into a channel or an innate channel that type of thing yeah and even if you're only a level one wizard as long as the spells are bringing you're pretty easy it's still like a three up or a four up mm. so i mean in a pinch you can 
always try it. Yeah. Um, for unmaking or withering or something like that. Um, I Challenge Seeker is an interesting one, but I think that when we, you think about the factions that you're worried about, it's probably still solid because Curse Breakers and Moloch and Magors are it's all mm. going to work against them. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I think these guys potentially suffer from similar to the Fast Riders and that Molog might take them apart. But you've got a guy with two shields at the beginning. I'm not even sure Molog can reliably hit that at the beginning. So maybe maybe you just hope dice go your way. Yeah, and once he inspires, he has two range and knockback. So he may yeah. be able to just get Molog out of there. <laughs> yeah, just punt him away. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that you don't really have any like defensive upgrades. Um, no. So I've got I've got two three health fighters. Um, if I was winning a full four health fighter warband, then great fortitude and term of vitality are really tempting because the difference between four and five health is quite a lot. A lot of people's decks are built to kill four health models really easily. So I should say wounds. Health is just in my head. Um, but with with two three health fighters, it's like they're the ones often I want to keep alive with this deck. And going from three to four is kind of not like a it's not enough of a difference really. Everyone can still kill four. Um, that I think it's worth it. Um, and also the ones that are for like the tank, I, yes, it's not, it's nice if it's harder for them to kill him, but they're going to be trying to kill the other ones anyway. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's worth it again, though. Some of these upgrades are very experimental. I, I, this is kind of uh, me. I think this is a good way to start, but you'd have to practice it. Right. Well, you have to start yeah. somewhere. And yeah, yeah I agree. I actually agree. I think that, it's probably either you spring for sudden growth mm. and get to five. Yes. Or you just work with three. Because, yeah, a lot of the time they're going to be able to do that fourth point of damage. And to be fair, sudden growth, deathly fortitude could make their way in here because you've got so much movement and so much range on some of your guys that that actually could be worth it. But can you spend the restricted slots is then your next question. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like those cards are balanced around that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, all right. Well, then uh, I guess my next question. So this is a very aggressive like play style. Yes. It seems like you just you're just going for kills. Um, but I like that the really none of the objectives other than strong start really need you to kill anything. It looks like you I have think to strike, react. strike swiftly uh, as well. I guess master stroke. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, the charge. Yeah, the charge. So That's there's there's three aggro, but a lot of you also have a lot of reliable um score immediately and then sort of win more cards with solid gains and master of war just playing the game <laughs> i don't see um solid gains and master of war quite as win more cards so great gains is definitely a win more card there's no question i've experimented with it and just it only works if you're already winning the game but solid yeah. gains and master of war i think even if you're losing you should still be just about to, master of war especially you should still be scoring an objective a turn if you're not scoring an objective a turn, then it's almost like you've you've lost already, and there's no point. Solid gains <laughs> is a it's a bit more on the cusp. It, it's not always super reliable, but it, if you've got like say tome of offerings and you make one kill, then you just need to score one one point objective, and you've got it. it, it it's not too hard to get. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I like what you pointed out though that like. A lot of this is just reliable glory. I, I, that's how I like to play my games. I like to just have a kind of steady trickle of stuff coming in, especially turn one if possible, because then I can actually use upgrades. 
Right. I think that if you have too many uh, objectives that are asking you to kill things, mm. then when that when you roll poorly or you know that just doesn't happen for whatever reason, or you know, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed recently is last chance is an extremely popular card, and yep. it works a lot. It's a three up most of the time, mm-hmm. and it frequently denies me like two or three glory when it works. So in some of the like I've been playing some aggro gods form and stuff like that. And if if you just don't if if all of your cards are relying on you killing things and then you don't roll okay, <laughs> like yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah. So I think um, that the sort of the balance that you have here between things that you can control like change tactics and calculated risk and you know, ch- keep them guessing. Um, and then rewards for stuff actually going well. Um, I think that's a good balance. Yeah. No, I think I think it's an easy trap to fall into when you're new to the game to just put in all the aggressive cards. And especially, like, it's one of the weird things as well is if you just play against some other people who just play pure aggressively, then you almost make yourself even more aggressive because you, you, you are always able to get to kill. You're always able to at least kill something unless the dice have been ridiculous. So you kind of tailor these super, like you might, you know, you might also put victory after victory and like make your deck eight score immediately, that type of stuff. But then if you come up against someone playing Gits or Thorns or even something dreaded and super defensive like Curse Breakers hiding at the back, literally you can't do anything. You, you've tailored this hyper kind of engine that scores off getting kills and you're not getting kills and oh God. Yeah, I had a, um, in my Godsworn deck, I've been running Pure Carnage, which mm. I think in the current meta is a pretty decent card because of just how much killing is going on. Yeah. But um, what I've noticed is that on the rare occasions that I play against Skaven and uh, Skeletons, mm. I may not have seven people dead at the end of the game because yeah. they can bring them back. So. It's weird as well because... Yeah, it's not what you'd expect from them because there's lots of targets. But yeah, they'll be bringing people back. And their whole play style is generally about not fighting. It's about trying to conserve. Yeah, because I played a game with Skaven and they didn't really kill any of my guys. And I was killing them, but they just kept bringing them back and standing on stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a, an interesting experience. And I think I still like the card in the current meta, but I may just have to hope that I don't run into those factions. <laughs> yeah, no, I, so my Reavers, which I came close to winning with but didn't quite before I switched up to my secret deck, um, I'm running Pure Carnage because I think Superior... Yeah, Superior Tactician is restricted, and if, you, if you're if you fighting for restricted slots, I think for Godsworn and Reavers, then Pure Carnage is a good alternative. Yeah, well, that's, a, I think, a, something we could probably talk about for a little bit. For, tactic, or for Superior Tactician... Um, I've actually stopped running it, and I've mm. been putting in victory after victory or yep. great gains instead. And like you said, yep. they are they are win more cards. But what I've found is that if I score it on the first or second round, which is kind of rare, but yep. it does happen, yep. um, it kind of makes up for the fact that it's one less glory than Superior Tactician. Yep. And unlike victory after victory or great gains you can never score superior tactician in the first or second round. Yeah, that's true. Um, no, I've seen people playing victory after it. It's, I shouldn't disparage victory after victory. It's a good card. I've seen good players play it. Um, I just I just dislike it myself because I had a game <laughs> once where um, I scored literally eight score immediately in one turn. It was a very <laughs> early version of my Reavers deck where I was do, you know, doing everything I just recommended against. So I'd gone through almost my entire deck 
And then next turn, I drew victory after victory. I was like, I literally can't score this now. I haven't got any more score immediately in my deck. And <laughs> so despite the fact that I've seen lots of good players play it, that's it. I'm, I'm out from that. <laughs> yeah, and I've also had experiences where I had Superior Tactician in my deck. I drew it on the first turn, and I held it to the very end of the game. <laughs> and it paid yeah. off. So. Yeah. I, I think that it's a good card, but I, now that it's restricted, yeah, I that feel makes like it's it. worth thinking about. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's 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 a choice, and like, I, I do like the bar list. I really like it because it's it 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 does kind of make you think about where you want to apply those restricted slots. Do you put them in objectives? Do you put them in uh, your gambits, or potentially even in upgrades? Because there are some good upgrade options. I know everyone pretty much skips over them, but they they they're not necessarily what you shouldn't take. Although you should always take ready for action. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I'd be hard pressed to find a reason where you wouldn't i tried to I, I had a deck that didn't take ready for action i uh i was experimenting with a curse breakers deck that just sat at the back and cast lots of spells um and i just didn't put ready for action because a it wasn't a spell and b it was restricted um but literally within a game i was just like well even just being able to move out of sequence mm -hmm. is amazing and then also if you hidden paths in well i can just kill you before you go like even in that weird specific case where I didn't think it was good, it was still amazing, and it went straight in the deck afterwards. One of the things I noticed is that you have Scorched Earth, and then you have two ways to destroy the objectives. Mm -hmm. And that kind of um, brings me to the topic of combos in these kind of decks. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you have cards that need other cards to work. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like sometimes that can be a trap. And sometimes yes. it can be good because certain cards will have synergy. So how do you think about uh, that situation? So I think first off, you don't, <laughs> I'm going to say this like to directly kind of contradict literally the deck Amon took, uh, was it to Nova or was it Adepticon? Uh, Adepticon, yeah. Adepticon. I don't think you should run it with one trigger. I think it's too unreliable. I mean, it's still amazing when it goes off. A, a, a score immediately is is like your happy holy grail. Like I actually rate score immediately above like um, a two glory end of turn a lot of the time because it gives you such a smooth turn one when you can play. If you can play an upgrade in turn one, it's incredible. Um, but one trigger is not enough. There'll be too many times it's just in your hand. It's completely useless. And you could have had another objective that you'd have scored, and then that would have drawn you another objective. With two triggers, it starts to get a lot more statistically likely. Um, with two triggers and bag of tricks, which is kind of your get out of jail free for building a bad deck, um, you know, it, <laughs> it, 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 it searches stuff for you. Then I think you're, in the, you're, you're happy to take the risk, but I still would only do it if the cards that are the triggers are useful on their own accord. So in this case, Abathos and Making, as we said, like it can shut down objective play ha massively and Leech Power can inspire your leader. They both do stuff without having to score Scorched Earth. If all they did was score Scorched Earth, then it would I don't think it'd be worth it either. Yeah, and in this uh, specific situation, um, I actually noticed that I think you did not take um, a card that I think is interesting for them Mm -hmm. is reclaim the Lamentiri, mm -hmm. which is score this in an end phase if you hold all the objectives in at least one player's territory. Yeah. What do you think I, about that one? Because that kind of has synergy with all three of those. I would like to try it. It It's one of those where you worry. I, th I think it's going to be very reliable game one in a best of three. Um, in a mm. game one in a best of three, 
your opponent's not going to be catch ready to catch you for it and you've got two ways of yeah i think you can often end up with just one objective token on your side um the danger is once they see it and adapt to it they might just start shoving objective tokens into your corner um you can end up with this weird kind of game where you're trying to place your objective tokens in a way to block theirs um mm-hmm. Hmm, I'd like to play with it. I, I, I can see it being good, but I can also see it being bad. I think I think it's one of those question, question marks until you've tried it. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of the time when I build the deck, I'll have like two or three cards that almost made it, but mm. didn't quite make the cut. And then I usually will keep those in mind like as I'm doing playtesting with it. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's a really good way to do it because... What, as soon as you play test, there'll be a couple of cards that you find just don't work. Sometimes it's ones that when you built it, you thought were a stretch, and sometimes it's ones you thought would be super reliable. Like, I think when I built this, that like, keep them guessing is going to happen lots because of the reaction thing, but it might be when I play it, because a lot of those reactions will depend on crits, that actually that's not happening. It might have to go. Yeah, yeah. I think keep them guessing is pretty solid because, mm. like you said, I mean, you can always force it by mm. actually doing all four of them. Yeah, um, which is okay, and you need the you may want to go on guard for change of tactics. So I, I like that, but I mean, with theoretically with the archer, you could charge, kill something, react, attack, and that's three right there. Yeah, her uh, that reaction is the most reliable, and uh, the deck mm-hmm. is built to try and make that reaction happen. Um, so yeah. yeah, no, I I do think it's going to be reliable, but I just there's a bit of doubt in my mind, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that you'll you may have to save that last activation to go on guard or something. Because hmm. I feel like if you go on guard first and then you get the reaction, it's, maybe um, it didn't end up being worth it. <laughs> if, honestly, if you don't have uh, change of tactics in hand, then it's almost yeah. always better to do the guard action last because everyone right. expects change of tactics because it's just such a common card. And if you go on guard first, sometimes they'll just pull their fighters away and they're like, you know what, let's just not give you something you can do. Um, and then you're like, oh, I wasn't trying to score changes tactics. I was trying to do this different thing, but you've stopped me from doing this different thing. That's even better. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is pretty much everything. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or anything else you wanted to talk about or shout out? I don't know if you have any new articles or Ha, hopefully um <laughs> so hopefully there'll be one out around the time this releases um i'm trying to do a review of all the neutral cards from the new expansions so we usually mm-hmm. we usually do them and i yeah it's where we give everything a rating one to five i'm going to try very hard this time to not give anything a point five <laughs> um that's going to take a bit of time because there's a lot of cards and i've been very busy i mean yesterday i was at a tournament most of the day uh, but hopefully yeah. that'll be out soon Cool. I'm going to go <laughs> and uh, organize food now, I think. Yeah, it was lovely chatting to you, Will. Okay. And hopefully next time I chat, I'll have won a Grand Clash. <laughs> right, we'll have to have you back. And we're back. Um, really enjoyed listening to your interview, Jonathan, with, with Michael. Or more of a conversation, really. And, man, I just got to say, I really love British accents. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. they're, they're, they're loads of fun. Um, I, I really like some of the tips that Michael shared. I think whether you're a newer player or a veteran... I think if you kind of stick to some of those general guidelines, and I'm sure you might have some of your own as well, I think you'll be in a pretty good spot when you building your own decks, especially for competitive events. So big shout out to Michael Carlin. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I even learned a little bit. So that was pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, um, it was great talking to him. Yeah. Also, really excited about Warhammer Underworlds Online. I think that's super cool. 
I cannot wait to start playing that game. Um, one thing that I'm really interested in is the fact that like the warbands will come out in different order. So mm-hmm. it'll be like almost like playing Shadespire again, but it'll be like a different meta. So yeah, that's really cool. yeah. very excited about that. Can't wait for more information to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're not in the Discord channel already, I highly recommend you get on it. I think it's just Warhammer Underworlds Online, right, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, and I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. Perfect. And uh, so now I think what we're gonna do is kind of go over some of our community shoutouts. So, uh, Jonathan, I think that's all you, buddy. Yeah. Our next segment, community shoutouts. We're gonna try to make sure we mention any articles or any videos or anything like that that uh, the community's come out with since our last episode. Um, this week, because of the new releases, um, it's been a lot of information on the new factions, the Guardians and the Profiteers. Um, and, I mean, of course, being as addicted to this game as I am, I think I've probably just read them all, but that's so that's what I would recommend. But <laughs> um, Can You Roll a Crit had a great one, and they go over all the cards there. Um, Cataphrane Relic also. Um, you made one yourself for both of the Warbands, and you actually have tournament reports already as well on Hexes and Warbands. Is that correct? Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for the plug. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Michael, who is just here, um, also has his reviews of the cards. So between the four of those, I think that uh, should be able to learn about those new cards very well. Yeah, and I think Michael just dropped his Universal um, review as well, because I think Underworld's Warhammer Underworld's Online's official deck builder got updated with all the cards. So oh, nice. Yeah. So I think he just dropped that. Um, annoyingly, uh, Blessing of Hydrogos and Tome of Healing did not show up in the builder, um, much to my mm. chagrin. But still, really glad they got that updated. Shout out to the team who does that. And so I think, Jonathan, you got anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's it for me. Cool. Well, Thank you, everyone, for listening to our third episode. Um, Nurgle is very pleased because we are in his favorite number. And we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. Nice.